Hi, everybody. I'm Patrick McEnroe, and this is Holding Court. All right, I told you I was going to t- stay on top of this story here on Holding Court. That's exactly what I'm going to do as far as Peng Shui is concerned, and nobody better to speak to, and I appreciate him giving me a few minutes here as he's over in Turin in Italy for the year-end championships for the men. That is the esteemed author of the best-selling book now, I can say, Mr. Clary. This is Christopher Clary joining me from the year-end championships. The Master, his book on Roger Federer, which you were kind enough to come on with me a few months ago, Chris, to discuss that. I know it's going extremely well with that book. So let me start off by saying congrats on all the success of, uh, uh, of your book on Mr. Federer. Thanks, Patrick. No, I appreciate you having me on. You know, everything helps, and it was, uh, it's been a heck of an adventure. I mean, it just came out in Italy over here, so I've been doing some, uh, some promotional work for it over here and working on my very bad Italian. So it's <laughs> Forza, forza. All right, so let's get into the reason why I wanted to get you. Uh, I was always, there's always a good reason to have you on. There's a lot going on, obviously, in tennis at the moment. Most importantly, from uh, a global perspective, is Peng Shui and the situation uh, that has developed over the last couple of weeks. Now, just uh, I know you wrote a piece in the New York Times. In fact, that was probably the first sort of real significant um, piece of information that came out on this story. Now we hear today from the CEO of the WTA, Steve Simon, that he did see the video that the Chinese state uh, released that apparently showed uh, Peng uh, at a restaurant in Beijing. He said uh, in his release just within the last couple hours that he was glad to see that, but essentially still not buying it, basically, that this is proving that Peng Shui is safe and is making these uh, decisions on her own. So what have you, I know you've been working on this as well while covering the tournament in Italy. What's the latest on your end? Yeah, I think the, uh, you know, every day there's, in the last couple of days, there's been a uh, either photos or the email that came out a couple of days ago that was purportedly from her that was sent to Steve that he did receive. But yet the problem is with all this, all these things that are coming out, I mean, I think it, the odds seem to be increasing in terms of background that she, that she is, you know, certainly alive and apparently not in physical danger at the moment. That seems to be the, what we're hearing behind the scenes. There's no verification of that yet. But Steve, what he wants and what the WTA is insisting on, first and foremost, is to get a chance to speak to her independently in a verifiably independent situation so they can clarify her situation, um, confirm for themselves the situation. And I know that um, you know, the WTA did not knee-jerk on this. They took a lot of time before they started coming out with these strong statements about the future of tennis in China and about the uh, punk situation. So I think there has been a lot of reflection here. But right now, they want something fairly simple, which is you know, basically show us our player, let us understand and verify that she's okay and get a sense of where this really stands. Right now, he's not satisfied. I found it very interesting, Chris, that uh, the last comment that was made in the press release that came out today from Steve Simon was, uh, we're at a crossroads in our relationship with China. And as as you just said in your previous comment, uh, there was a lot of background that he did. There was a lot of work I know he did with his board. You've got probably more sources than I do, but my source told me that you know essentially he, Steve Simon knew that this potential was there. In other words, that the huge financial fallout which could happen to the WTA um, is is very much in the cards. Very much could happen that the WTA will have to pull out uh, of the events in China, which is very significant, isn't it? There's no way he would have taken this strongest stance. Patrick, 
um, without having done his due diligence on the repercussions of potentially having to go all the way with this. I mean, it, it's a, it's a bit of a, uh, it's a bit of an ultimatum, frankly. I mean, it's, he wants not only verification that she's okay, he wants uh, an independent, uncensored investigation into these sexual assault allegations that Hong has made. So that's a pretty high bar for a society like China, governmental control to, <laughs> to clear. So we'll see how that goes. But he wouldn't have gone to that degree if he didn't feel strongly and his membership didn't feel strongly and if he hadn't done his due diligence on the business. And I think it is no doubt going to be a, uh, a fascinating period just in sort of uh, Trans-Pacific relationships and the way uh, sport interacts with China in general, and the WTA is really leading the way on this in a lot of ways by taking such a strong stand. And I think the impact, as you know, from being around the game so long on different sides of it, uh, the WTA has has bet heavily on China. Um, basically, a third of their prize money, from what I understand, or their overall revenue, is based in that country. It's been considered a country of the future for them, uh, a hedge against dips in tennis in other parts of the world. And now all this is very much up in the air. And for him to use those sorts of terms, like mm. at a crossroads, and he used it also in this, in this letter we just published that was sent to the Chinese ambassador by the WTA. It also said the same thing. You know, basically, in, in short, we're at a crossroads. And that is a, a pretty freighted statement. Uh, I don't think the WTA would have felt as strongly that they were able to do this kind of thing without having had the last two years of pandemic situation to analyze. I mean, there's been... One WTA tournament in China in the last two seasons. That was before the pandemic started. So they've had a look at a at a post-China world, if you will, the last two years. And I'm sure have realized there's a lot of interest in women's tennis out there in different parts of the world. I mean, the fact they went to Guadalajara, the money wasn't the same for the WTA finals there, but it was certainly a a success in terms of the public reaction. And I'm sure they've had a good you know look at the market around the world, and they realize also China. And the rest of the world are also at a bit of a crossroads. Mm-hmm. There's going to be potentially lingering tension that goes on uh, going forward as the politics get involved. Maybe they realize that they need to uh, diversify and, and back off this approach. But I, ultimately, this all starts with, with Feng Shui. I found it so fascinating uh, when this, when I first really got my arms around this story, just essentially right after you wrote about it, Chris, in the New York Times, um, in you know, when the NBA had their issues with China, whether it was uh, the GM of the Houston Rockets and then the player for the Boston Celtics, I mean, they, a Chinese, they immediately took those, those teams off the air. Their games were, were done. And I think Steve Simon, and you probably know this maybe a little bit better than I do, I think he expected or anticipated that that could happen from the year-end championships, which were going on this past week in, as you said, Guadalajara in Mexico, which were supposed to have been staged in China. But that didn't happen. And that, that to me, looked to be fairly, I thought, a significant lack of response from the Chinese government. And now you're seeing, although it hasn't been uh, appropriate yet or certainly hasn't satisfied Steve Simon and, and, and us in the tennis community, these videos and these pictures, at least they're doing something. So does that lead you to think that, hmm, maybe China's going to take a different tact on this issue? Yeah, I, I don't, I don't uh, pretend to understand what Chinese leadership in tennis or politics, more importantly, are, are going through on this and how they're analyzing it. But for any kind of reaction through state-run media clearly is uh, significant. It shows that there is acknowledgement of it. I don't know whether they felt this was really going to blow up to this degree. It's, it's taken on a big dimension in the last two or three days in terms of international media. Just uh, do a Google search in different languages and you'll find its headline material all around uh, 
least the Western world. So I feel like they are going to need to react to it. And of course, the big, big piece of leverage is the Winter Olympics in Beijing in February. Right. That's a, that's a major investment by the country. It's a major uh, national uh, prestige event for them. Uh, it's you know, a global event. There's there's some doubt about the uh, you know the uh, human rights aspects of it, whether it should even go on, or with uh, there's talk of diplomatic uh, boycotts from the U.S. and other parts of the world. So there's a lot going on. I think they're obviously going to be more tuned into their international image than they might normally be. But I still have a very hard time imagining they're going to be able to. Uh, except being dictated to by the WTA in terms of whether an investigation into one of their former officials should take place or not. They're going to want to feel that's a Chinese decision and a Chinese legal system decision. So I don't know where that influence begins and ends, but I don't, it certainly isn't limitless, that's for sure. Yeah, and there's a lot of ramifications, you said, about the Olympic Games. The IOC issuing a statement, which was pretty weak, I thought, um, and saying you know they're going to do it behind the scenes, which is sort of what they've always done. So we won't tackle that particular topic as we speak. We'll stick to tennis. And I know, Chris, you're getting ready for the second semifinal in Turin for the men's uh, championship. Medvedev already through to the final. Djokovic, probably by the time I air this, will have completed his match uh, against Zverev, whether he wins it or not, we shall see. But the larger issue for Novak Djokovic and for men's t- and tennis in general is the announcement from Tennis Australia, Craig Tiley, the tournament director on Australian TV earlier today, saying that essentially anybody who wants to come to the Australian Open, fans, workers, television people, and yes, players will have to be double vaccinated. So I'm guessing, Chris, that this will be a comment, I mean, a uh, question that will be asked by you or someone else to one Novak Djokovic, whether he wins or loses tonight in his semifinal match. So how do you think that's going to go down? Yeah, this has definitely been bubbling for, for months, as you know. And Novak has said in Paris, he was asked this question most recently there, that he was going to answer it and, you know, basically make his intentions known once there was a clear policy announced by the Australian Open. I think everybody behind the scenes in the last couple of weeks, at least, has been uh, expecting this. The Victorian Premier was very strong about it, the state government in, in, in Melbourne, about the, uh, the need to make sure the players comply with the rest of the population on vaccination. But it's, it's a big thing for tennis. There are still, uh, I talked to Gaudenzi, uh, Andrea Gaudenzi, the CEO of the ATP or chairman of the ATP yesterday, and he was saying, you know, there's still a situation where it's just over 80% of the top uh, 100 players in singles are, are vaccinated. You can still get to 90 or low 90s by uh, Australian Open time. But that, I mean, some players in that top 100 who are eligible will not be most likely going unless something else happens along the way. But it doesn't appear likely. So I think Novak, he's got a big choice to make. And, and the thing that's interesting is that I'm talking to Gadensky and other people as well. It seems like there's a feeling that this is going to be the first of, of several. Mm. where there's going to be uh, situations in other countries, grand nations, perhaps France, perhaps the U.S., perhaps the U.K., where they're going to start requiring players to be vaccinated if they're asking that of the general population to enter these sports events. So I think uh, Novak's choice may end up becoming much bigger than just the Australian Open. So that, that may be part of, his, part of what he factors in as well. Nobody knows if he's vaccinated or not. I mean, the indication is that he's not based on some of the comments he's made in the past, but we don't know that for a fact. And uh, he hasn't chosen to divulge it. It's very hard to find out information about uh, this topic from players individually at all. Medvedev still hasn't officially confirmed it, but he basically all but uh, confirmed it by his decision to uh, confirm playing in Australia. 
Yeah, I mean, there's some question about uh, quite a few Medvedev and a few other players as well, top players, that uh, it's questionable whether they've been uh, fully vaccinated as well. So it's not just, obviously, Djokovic is going to be the story, the headline over the course of the next four to six weeks. Uh, and what he does or doesn't do uh, as relates to this particular topic. But as you said, you're seeing countries in Europe, obviously Austria, with a lockdown and with basically saying you've got to be double vaccinated to do pretty much anything within the country. So we'll see how that plays out. Christopher, again, congrats with the book. Thanks for giving me a couple of minutes here while you're juggling like 15 different things. Um, and uh, we'll hopefully we'll catch up again shortly. Yeah, this is quite a story, Patrick, this uh, feng shui story. And it's, I think it's going to run for, well, my, my question here is really interesting to see what happens if she comes out uh, in Chinese uh, media and basically backs off the allegations mm. and, uh, says there's no substance to them or she uh, is withdrawing them, then how does WTA interpret that? How does the wider sporting community and world community interpret that? There's going to be a lot of interesting things that could happen here in the next uh, next week or so. Yeah, who would have thought that tennis could be at the heart of some uh, extremely serious geopolitical uh, issues around the world, right, Chris? Yeah, you're right about that, Patrick. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Enjoy the uh, rest of the weekend there in Italy, and uh, we'll talk to you down the road. And thanks again for coming on. Chris Clary, everyone here on Holding Court. Thanks, Patrick. You got it. Holding Court with Patrick McEnroe is powered by Mudhouse Media.